Guy here with a quick message before the latest pod here on Blood Red. 2020's been pretty rubbish, but here on Blood Red, we wanted to say thank you to all of our continued and loyal listeners. Part of that has been the creation of our Blood Red census, which you can find in the description of this podcast. All we want to know is what you think of our content and also give you the chance to shape how much and what you get to listen to in future. If you can check it out and fill it in, it won't take longer than two minutes to do. You can even manage it between your Christmas dinner and your pudding. It's in the description, as I say, and that's all. Enjoy the pod. Thanks for your support this year. We're all in it with each other and hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. This, I suppose, is more of a Christmas special than the last Christmas special that we recorded a week ago, because uh, I'm in on my day off and Dave, I think you're working, are you? Yeah, technically I'm. I'm working, so uh, it's not as bad for me. <laughs> yeah, roles reversed from last year, I think. I think you you did the honours last year. Yeah. Um, but I think we've got quite a bit to get through, which is the reason why we're checking in. Um, that's kind of what, what this episode, I suppose, is going to be. It might be shorter, you know, we don't really know, but it is just kind of going to be a, a, ch- a checking in type thing, touching base, uh, looking back at what's happened and looking ahead to Newcastle and Southampton. Uh, since we last recorded, I think we have played three times. I think Liverpool played three times and we've got obviously two games to come before we will next be recording the podcast. Before we get into it, Dave, do you have a good Christmas? I did, mate, yeah. It was uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. Obviously, I know it's a different one for most people this year, but from a personal point of view, it wasn't too bad. Uh, yeah, all right. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, it was good, mate, yeah. Um, Funnily enough, I might as well mention it. Christmas shopping, uh, day before Christmas Eve, and a regular listener stopped me in the middle of the city centre and said, uh, you know, just praise the podcast. So if you're listening today, thanks for that. Um, yeah, it meant a lot. Um, but we'll, we'll move on anyway. So we can't look past, even though it feels like a while ago, Crystal Palace. You know, it was a 7-0 win. I, I doubt it was what we predicted <laughs> um, oh. but I think I think one thing I want to touch on with the game was um, I think th- this this is the kind of game that can that can often make expected goals look a bit stupid because I think a lot of people look at expected goals and think that it's in place to predict the outcome of a match and I always get frustrated when that's the case because that's not what it's there for if Liverpool on the day posted an expected goals according to Statsbomb of 2.2 and Liverpool scored seven, that makes it look stupid. But, you know, really, Dave, what, what is it that that's telling us? Yeah, well, we, we have we have talked about this before um, where, for, you know, a really good example is Fulham. The Fulham game, which Liverpool only scored once, they finished the match with a, an expected goals of 2.1. So, you know, you're saying it was 2.2 for Palace. Um, so, I mean, that's a decent a decent accumulation in terms of XG. It, it says that, you know, there's a fair few high-quality chances created. But when you have elite-level forwards like Liverpool do, when they're really on it like they were at Palace, you can go and score, you know, 
five, six, seven goals. Um, it's just it's it it can't it, it doesn't always play out like that, but it, it's it's basically an indication of how how Liverpool's forwards can kind of just come alive and really you know go on and score a bag full of goals. Um, as I said, it wasn't too dissimilar to the chance created against Fulham. They just maybe weren't as clinical in that game. But um, we talked about this before. I think Atalanta was another similar example where, you know, when they're really on it, um, you, you, you convert at a much better rate. And that's that's what happened at, at, at Palace. It was just in the final third. It was really clinical. Yeah, that's it. I mean, accumulating 2.2 expected goals, most of the time when you accumulate that much, you'll, you'll probably win the game unless you've had a, a tricky defensive performance on the opposite side. Um, and what that simply means is based on the shots that Liverpool posted on the day, the average player, you know, a team full of average players would probably score about two goals based on the, the shots Liverpool took. The fact that Liverpool managed to bag seven just suggests that, you know, <clears throat> the actual finishing on the day was just far and above what you'd expect the average player to post. You know, Salah finishing from outside the box, um, Henderson finishing from outside the box. I think there was a header in there. Headers generally weighted quite low because they, they tend to get scored less frequently. I think Firmino's lob over the keeper with his weaker foot from the left. I think that was a bit of an awkward angle. Um, so that's probably getting weighted quite low. But Liverpool's finishing on the day was just outstanding. And that's one of the reasons why Liverpool have scored, in a way, five goals more than expected goals is expecting to. Um Another really good game that comes to mind was um, Bayern Munich and Spurs. I think that one finished 7-2, didn't it, when, when Pochettino was in charge? Mm. And I think Bayern's XG was only around two. But anyone who watched that game, you know, Bayern's finishing on the day was just ridiculous. Serge Gnabry, I think, scored a hat-trick. Um, and this, this is what the perks of having above-average quality players. This is why I, I tend to say quite frequently, you're only as good as your players. Because um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how many Liverpool would have scored on the day if you presented exactly the same shots that Liverpool generated to Palace players. If Palace as a team had have taken the shots Liverpool have took on the day, they probably wouldn't have scored seven, would they? No, I mean, what what was? Oh yeah, they had next to no yeah. real kind of threat on the day, did they? But you are right. Um, it was just, it, it was a really good performance and it was just made that bit more of a, you know, kind of blockbuster headline by the how many goals were converted. But if you kind of think about that game as well, it, it was, it looked to be a tricky one, didn't it? Especially with the, which we actually haven't spoke about. We didn't speak about the Spurs game, did we? Uh, obviously, no. I think, we, you know, that was just a few days earlier. That was a really, I thought, a really tight game. I know Liverpool dominated in terms of possession and had more shots, but I think it was a it was a, a game that felt on the knife edge for the full ninety minutes, and I thought Liverpool did really well to win it. To be honest, because uh, you know, it, for me, it could have quite easily finished the draw. That might have been a fairly fair result. So to come away with all three points, it felt huge. But then you've got to go from that really big high to then go into a, you know a tricky game early kickoff, and you know to end up winning it seven 0 just felt like a like a huge kind of statement. I know it hasn't quite played out like that since, but yeah, it was a really good, really good win. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool had seven shots on target and every shot found the net. And usually 
you know, if I hadn't seen the game, I would probably immediately think, okay, how did the goalkeeper get on? Um, but in that in in that display, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't possibly look at Guaita and and think he should be doing better. It was just one of them expert finishing displays mm. that just puts the game completely beyond doubt. Um, mm. According to the XG, as I said, it's probably a two 0 win, which is along the lines roughly of what we predicted. I think I think maybe I might have said two one. Can't remember what you said, Dave. Mm. No, I can't. Uh, but the the seven nil thing, you know, just kind of come out of nowhere. But, it's a it's a reminder that you can't predict football, isn't it? Really, you know, we do we like to exactly. do predictions, but it's it's so difficult because madness like that can come out from it. Yeah, especially this season. You know, this yeah. this, this season I'm finding it more tricky than usual to to predict what's going to happen in a game. Um, and I think that probably takes us on to the next point, which is although Liverpool have posted you know a seven 0 win against Palace. 2-1 win over Spurs that inconsistency remains and it's not just Liverpool it's the whole of the league mm. um, before Liverpool beat Spurs there was a one-all draw with Fulham there was a one-all draw with Michelin there was a f- three weeks later two weeks later a one-all draw with Brighton and Sam Allardyce comes to town and a one-all draw with West Brom um, it's just an angel and I think, I think it's going to be one of them seasons. I think it's going to keep happening to every team. And I think, as Liverpool supporters, looking at the past two seasons, we expect wins relentlessly all the time. We don't expect sloppy points to be dropped. But it's it's looking like it's just going to be one of those seasons where that will happen to every team every few weeks. And you've just got to um, make sure that they don't turn into losses while also making sure that they happen less frequently than than the rivals around you, really. Yeah, I think I think what's happened is, you know, we know there's mitigating factors this year, but what what we're kind of seeing a return to is a traditional campaign from a you know a, a title pursuing team. City come along and, and and kind of changed, you know, moved the goalposts a little bit in terms of pushing for these 100 points targets and achieving it. You know, Liverpool then stepped up and, and went toe-to-toe with them in that regard. And we had that 18-19 season where both teams just were winning relentlessly week in, week out. And the title was basically decided in the head-to-heads, wasn't it? Um, Liverpool kept that up last year where City dropped off. But now you, you're kind of seeing it revert to, you know, what it's, what it's kind of been for most of the Premier League era. Because if you look at Liverpool's Premier League results so far... No, they've, they've played 15 matches. They've still only lost just once, that 7-2 game to Villa. And, OK, there's been more draws. Obviously, there's been five there. But if you look at that record of nine wins, five draws and just one loss, you you would still associate that with a title-chasing team from maybe four years ago. Uh, it's just, it feels like we've been in a different era for the last few years and maybe the, the pandemic and things and the, the hectic schedule is just... I don't know, it's just even the playing field a little bit again and kind of, you know, giving, giving lesser sides a bit more of an advantage and, it, you know, the top teams a disadvantage. And that's why, because teams are playing so often at the top that it's just impossible almost to maintain these kind of high standards every couple of days that, that we were seeing last year and the year before. Yeah, I think um, in previous seasons as well, Liverpool have generally had a 
a really good hold over the the random events side of football. You know, those random events being the things outside of just your general performance, the things outside of open play, really, when both teams are just playing football against each other, such as, you know, luck, refereeing decisions, um, the stadium, the atmosphere in the stadium, penalties, VAR's massive now, uh, set pieces as well. And I think if you look at Liverpool's dropped points, obviously, against West Brom, we we definitely deserved to get to get done because we we stopped playing, um, but I'm pretty sure that was getting done by a set piece, which mightn't have happened if, say, for example, Van Dijk was fit. Um, against Fulham, you know, we did get battered in the first early moment, so that was a deserved one all against Brighton. Although we didn't maybe deserve the three points, we got done by a late penalty decision VAR, which probably was harsh at the time. Um. So there's those things in the season, but I do think that Liverpool have been a, a little bit more up and down week to week performance wise as well than than in the past. Liverpool have been quite quite machine like um, in the past few seasons, and I think if you look at you know the second half against West Brom, um, the first half against Fulham, the whole game against Brighton. Um, you could argue the second half against Manchester City, although that's easier said than done. Um, just say, just say, little moments where Liverpool maybe haven't really turned up, and it seems to have, some of them seems to have coincided with Liverpool being given more of a break, um, mm. weirdly. And I think maybe maybe Liverpool could do with that kind of that relentless, no change in schedule, just playing the same team every week sort of thing. Mm. Uh, for a long period of time, because we usually do quite well when that's the case. Liverpool tends to do quite well after the international, after the early international breaks are over with, for example. Mm. Tends to go on quite a run then. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Just I think the start of the season overall in the whole league has been just quite inconsistent. You know, every team seems to be struggling to to really run away with it. Mm. Um, you know, including Liverpool, really, and it's it's a difficult one to to analyse, really. Yeah, it's I, I I do wonder how much the kind of mental fatigue is playing a factor. You know, we'll probably talk about the intricacies of maybe the performance. I don't know shortly, but if you have a look, that they they played of the current bottom five, Liverpool played four of them, um, and they've only won one against Sheffield United, which you know is, is quickly becoming almost a. a a buy isn't every a given it automatic three points the way they are at the moment. But then it's West Brom one one, Fulham one one, and Brighton one one. And but in sandwiched in between these games, you've got a victory against Tottenham, uh, a commanding victory against Wolves, um, a good win against Leicester, you know, a, a tight win against West Ham. It 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 seems that the victories against the, the top sides are still there. You know, it's like that. When they need to find that extra gear or that you know that that level that they've had for in, in previous seasons, it's still there. But I just wonder whether when that motiv- motivation's a little bit a little bit less, you know, you're playing a team that you should beat on paper, uh, it should be a routine victory. Whether uh, they, you know, I'm not I'm not leveling any accusations at at the Liverpool players. I'm not calling them lazy or anything. I think it's more. You know, just the drain of, of playing like they are at the moment. I just wonder when he hasn't got that extra, almost competitive edge in the game. If it's too easy, a little bit to 
to start going running through the motions, expecting it just to happen. And then it doesn't. You know, I thought West Brom was that. I thought West Brom, it looked a little bit lethargic at times. I thought there wasn't the same creativity that you see in other games. And I, I appreciate it was difficult. You know, it was 11 men behind the ball, sitting in a really deep block, plenty of players in the penalty area, um, almost no options through the middle. Um you know, kind of, it was it was going out wide, and that, that suited West Brom crosses into the box. So I appreciate all this, but I just think over the last few weeks there is a theme of dropping points in those particular games, while still being able to produce and secure wins in the against tougher opponents. Yeah, I would agree on that. Um, I think out of all the games I've seen Liverpool play, and that's that's quite a lot. I think specifically the first half against West Brom. It's probably the least competitive half I've I've ever seen in terms of an opposing team coming and just almost refusing to compete. And it was just it was very much like Liverpool just playing with the ball. It, it was kind of like you know when you play like a six side and one team is about seven goals up <laughs> and the other yeah. team just kind of stops, just gives up almost. It was a bit like that. Um and it, it, I think I do think it almost got too easy. Like I think I think a few seasons ago, City went to uh, Newcastle, St James's Park, and they went one 0 up. It was around maybe the sixty fifth minute, and it was just too easy to the extent that City just kind of stopped playing, and Newcastle went up the opposite end immediately and scored two, and I think mm. they beat two one. Yeah, I remember um, that game there. Yeah, but I I watched the game and it was just so easy for City for an hour that they, they genuinely just stopped stopped caring and then before they knew it they were behind and you know it, that can happen in Premier League football but just to capture the difference between the two teams on the day uh, West Brom posted a total of 142 completed passes Jordan Henderson on his own 141 uh, so on his own one fewer pass than West Brom as a team but he comes away with a point, so it's a it's a tricky one to. Um, I mean, all obviously the media was over the moon with it and all that sort of stuff. Alice is back and all this. I don't think there's any secret Anfield formula, by the way, that he's got. I just think no. uh, it was one of them where I don't know. Once Liverpool kind of went a goal up, we just kind of let the game drift a little bit. And I like the reaction, by the way, Josh. Just quickly on that point of uh, of the kind of Liverpool camp, you know, Klopp and. I think Robertson did some post-match as well, where there was like an admission and acceptance of internal fault, you know, rather than kind of yeah. being like, it, you know, blaming West Brom the way they played. There was like an acceptance of, well, this is how they were going to do it. This is how Allardyce is going to set up and we take responsibility for not taking the three points. Because I think doing that is is good because then, you you feel like you've got something to fix in the next in the next game. You know you've got something to put right as opposed to blaming other factors. You know it was kind of an acceptance of yeah, this is what we, we knew already. We've planned for this and we didn't overcome it. That's on us, and it's something we're gonna we're gonna work on. I just think it's a good way to approach it. Yeah, that, that's something I'm big on personally. Um, I don't think. You should make excuses. I think it's very lazy, very very much of a cop house if you start looking at, you know, refereeing decisions or blaming their style of play or whatever. I think um I think it might have been Klopp or or Peter Kravitz who said a while back that um 
something like a, lo- a loss isn't really a loss if you if if it provides you with the lessons to learn from. And I think this was very this could very much act as a, a bit of a wake up call really that even against the worst team in the league, you know, you can't switch off at any minute, otherwise you will get punished. And we mm. end up dropping two points at home to a team that's probably gonna get relegated in my opinion. Mm. Um but what does this mean then for, for the Titan race? How is the Titan race looking at the minute? Um <sighs> it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean yeah. I sent a newsletter out a, f- a few weeks ago. And I labelled it the four horse race, um, and it was supposed to have a question mark on the end. <laughs> it, was, it was supposed to be a question, but I didn't send out the newsletter anyway. Someone else pre- pressed the send button, so they named it wrong. But uh, it's because that at the time that was what it was looking like. But I think Man United have since come into the fray a little bit. Maybe now it's a five horse race. Maybe you could argue Chelsea have dropped out of it. Arguably Spurs as well. But I don't know. I, I mean, it, has it been the case of maybe? People overthinking it, people getting ahead of themselves, and it's it's still just Liverpool and City, or is it is the more to it than that? Uh, it's tough because I think this season you you mentioned it at, at the top of the show. This season is so difficult to predict. I must say I, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I think it's obviously it's a shame that's under the circumstances that it is. There's always, there does seem to be this lingering cloud in the background, obviously to do with the pandemic and a lack of fans and you know those kind of things and i think predominantly from a liverpool camp it's it, i imagine it's maybe not as enjoyable because last year it was just winning every week and marching towards the title but maybe just from a football fan perspective i think it's really competitive this year like anybody can beat anyone the, the game seems to be quite enjoyable um and it's it, you couldn't call the top 6 at the moment in my opinion in terms of the title, I still do think it's 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 Liverpool just because they've they've, they've suffered a lot with with injuries, um, as we know. You know, it's already been discussed a million times, but um, to still kind of be top of the pile despite that is good. I think City will come strong. I think with uh, something important to talk about with with City, Josh is, you know, a lot of people have been unimpressed by them. You know, ourselves included. We've talked about it separately. Um, but I have noticed that they've really fine-tuned that defence. I saw through the week that they've got the most competitive clean sheets this season of, of any team in, uh, in you know, the top five leagues, which I thought was quite quite impressive. And the underlying numbers aren't bad either to kind of reaffirm that. So it feels like, to me, now looking back, Guardiola's probably said in the summer, we've lost the title last season because of the defence. That was our weakest issue. We need to reinforce it and we need to get better defensively. And they have done. They're much more difficult to, to score against. Obviously, the the kind of the consequence, negative consequence of that is the attack looks like it's it's not a patch of what, it, what it's been in seasons gone by. But I do expect that to start getting a little bit better as the season progresses. Um, and I do think they'll be right up there again. I think it wouldn't surprise me if they hit one of these city strides where they just go and win like 12 games on the run. So I think it's Liverpool City, and then, yeah, you've got outsiders, then like United, uh, maybe Chelsea will come back. Tottenham might be up there. Um, I don't dare say Evan, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, no, I think, you know, I think then you're looking at like Evan and Leicester's for pushing maybe a top four place or top six. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
I would agree that I think Liverpool is still the strongest. I think Liverpool is still the favourite. Still Liverpool to lose. Obviously, the injuries that's happened, and we're still top. I think by maybe three points over the nearest team. Um, and if you look at the expected goals as well, if you consider expected goals for um, minus, or yeah, minus expected goals against, um, per ninety, Liverpool's expected goal difference per matches is just the best in the league, um, marginally ahead of City. And then, funny enough, Aston Villa, mm. and then Chelsea, and then there's quite a gap then to fifth, sixth, seventh, yeah, and that's that that comprises of Brighton. Um, funny enough, Manchester United Gosh. led there. Yeah, just, uh, just quickly, is this pay ninety or combined XG? This is pay ninety. Oh, is it? Yeah, I was going to say this is uh, XG difference. Difference. Okay, yeah. I just think uh, just on Villa, they're just a strange one, aren't they, this, this year? Because the uh, the numbers are just really good. And even normally when it's like combined numbers, they, they're right up there and they've played like two games less. <laughs> yeah, well, I was looking at the numbers yesterday before they faced Chelsea. In fact, it's it's, it's still the case, actually, that, that they're shooting more than any other team per match. Mm-hmm. Um, currently posting 15.9 shots per game. That's ahead of City in second place on 15.2 and Liverpool virtually joined second place on 15.2 as well. Mm. So Villa couldn't shoot more than any other team. Um, I think the thing with Villa is, and you know, the likes of Brighton there and things like that, the XG difference captures the level of performance of a team to an extent. But it, it, it doesn't really consider player quality. So mm. whereas... You know, Brighton are posting roughly the same XG difference per match as Manchester United. Manchester United have just got better players. Mm. So they're putting the ball in the net and maybe stopping the ball from going in the net um, when the shots do materialise. Whereas Brighton, you know, the opposite's happening. I think Matt Ryan's having a bad season. And I think on the attacking side, you know, Danny Welbach, Neil Morpay, and then the 4,000 number 10s that they've got. <laughs> just aren't, put, aren't putting the ball in the back of the net, but... Yeah, I think in terms of the um, title race, it, it, are, are we sticking with our um, top four calls? I think we did that quite recently, didn't we? You have to remind me. Can you remember? I can't overly remember, but I don't think either of us had Manchester United in there. Okay, that's that's interesting because I uh, saw I watched United last week uh, and on the weekend actually, but I watched them against Everton in the uh, League Cup quarter final and. Bear in mind, both teams are really close to each other in the table. I just thought United, with the players, they've got just looked the next level. Um, and I do think, yeah, it's United are strange because they, they get a lot of stick, but they, they, and I'm not maybe tipping them for the title, but I do expect them to be now, if you're asking me now, maybe like a, a top three, top four side. So, um, I think with hard. United, they, they have got goals, I'll give them that, and they've got, They've got options as well, like which almost no other team in the league around the hour mark can bring on Edison Cavani, mm. Paul Pogba and Donny van der Beek. You know, they're three serious substitutes them. You, you, you can't really knock that. They can change games. Um, and obviously they've already got Bruno in there, who's an absolute output merchant. Yes. You've got Rashford, you've got Martial, you've got Greenwood. Um, so when it comes to finding the net, they have got 
they have got answers in there. I think both fullbacks are terrible. Must be honest. I think the two fullbacks are awful on the attacking side of the game. They really offer virtually nothing. But I think they have got solutions in the team when it comes to finding goals. And I think if you look at Spurs, for example, one one massive issue with Spurs is if Kane or Son don't find the net, Spurs probably aren't going to. Um, they've got kind of two avenues to goals really, and that's kind of it. Um, so I think I think was it you um, who mentioned once that you know the number of goals that a team scores tends to equal the same number of points that they accumulate over the seasons that you are. Yeah, yeah, basically just a fair few statistical like kind of analysis have worked out that roughly a goal tends to equate to a point over the course of a campaign. Yeah, I mean if you look at last season for that. Liverpool, well, Liverpool are overperformers, but if you look at City, City are the opposite. <laughs> but I think Man United, yeah. Man United scored 66, mm. finished on 66 points. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea scored 69, finished on 66 points. Um, Spurs scored 61, finished on 59 points. So I think there's kind of a correlation there. Um, yeah. And well, I think was that was that one, wasn't it? Um, that we that ironically, when when Liverpool tweeted out about uh, the run of sixty four league games unbeaten, you know they'd scored yeah. one hundred and sixty nine goals in that time, and they'd accumulated one hundred and seventy points. You know, yeah. it's uh, it it is it is linked, and uh, if you look at the, the all the points accumulated in the Premier League, and then look at how many goals were scored in that in that campaign, they're normally very close to each other. Yeah, but I think if you look at the teams in the league, I think the four teams would. With goals in abundance, are probably Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and United. Um, but then you have to obviously factor in the ability of Spurs to gain a lead and sit on it, which they are. Well, they have been capable of doing, not so much recently. Um, but I think I suppose what we're getting at is, despite everything that's happening, I think we both would still value Liverpool as the favourites. I'd still pump my money on Liverpool. Um. I just don't feel City, City for some reason, just don't seem as ruthless at the minute. To me, I've got a bit of a theory on this. They, they look a little bit like, it looks a little bit like Guardiola's focusing all of his energy on getting this team able to control a match with a view to maybe in the summer or in even in January, adding an absolute output merchant, risk-taking player, who's going to just, with everything else staying the same, who's going to single-handedly move the attack up a level. Say, for example, a Lionel Messi or a Erling Haaland, I think they've link, been linked with possibly an Aguero, but obviously mm. Aguero's not been playing, but he seems really, really intent on getting control over matches without really uh, winning every match and without really attacking relentlessly and I just feel like maybe he's planning on getting prepared for this for this you know special player that City is trying to get in or something or not just complete guess but mm, I think Haaland would be I actually wrote about this a couple of weeks ago and I felt like the laziest piece of I've ever put together but it, it wasn't I did try and make that point but I just think Haaland would be the absolute best signing for, for City uh, because you can't really rely on Aguero anymore um, and he's only going to start slowing down even more with age. I think Jesus is just 
you know, if you look at his time in the Premier League, I think he's underperformed by about 15 goals in terms of his XG, which for an elite, elite striker at the top, yeah, it's, yeah. If you it, maybe if you go on Understat, you might be able to see it now. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he has. How, how many is it exactly? Fifteen point two goals. That's bad. Yeah. That. Isn't it for an elite striker to underperform that? Um, it's it's just not good enough. And I think, I think, you know, if they just brought in a goal machine like Haaland, who possesses so much, even if he costs upwards of a hundred million. You know, he's an investment for 10 years. I think he could just completely transform them. I know he could transform most attacks, but I think them specifically, he'd be huge for them. Um, whether it's going to happen, I don't know, but I do agree with what you're saying. Yeah, it's one to keep my hand anyway, but I just thought it was probably quite relevant to, to have a little recap considering how busy the schedule is and the inconsistency and stuff like that. Um, and obviously the fact that we have another podcast, so... Yeah, we'll move on anyway to, to who Liverpool have got on... I'm getting messed up with the days. Is it Wednesday night we play? <laughs> what day are we now? Yeah, it is. It's Newcastle yeah, away on the 30th, yeah. So we'll touch on it slightly because we assume most people will probably watch Liverpool play this game before they listen to this podcast. You know, complete mm-hmm. guess, but Newcastle United. Same old. <laughs> yeah. Same old, really, isn't it? It's a bit, little bit of a mini results machine at times in terms of getting over the line and stuff. But performance wise, awful. Mm. Yeah, the uh, pretty much for the entirety of Bruce's time, you know, the underlying metrics have just been really bad. And I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, it's been a source of bemusement that they've continued to pick up results because they look you know, one of, if not the worst side in the Premier League. Um, and yet they've they've kind of comfortably avoided relegation last season, haven't they? Um, and they're still not really in that kind of bottom two, three at the moment. So yeah. I'm just looking at the, uh, the the numbers behind their season. Um, so in terms of what I mentioned before, expected goals difference, they're actually not doing that bad. But that is because they have benefited from a fair few penalties. Um, their expected goals per match, excluding penalties, is better than only West Brom. Um, West Brom's is actually shocking. <laughs> really <laughs> bad. Um, and then on the defensive side of the game, Newcastle's expected goals against per match, excluding penalties, is... The 2019 18 17 16th, the after that. Um, obviously, they benefit there from so pressure with a back five and a midfield four, usually. Um, and you don't really commit many bodies forward. The keeper tends to overperform, which is probably because um, there's so many people putting pressure on the shooter at times that it probably makes it easy for the goalkeeper to save, doesn't it? Mm. But, um, yeah, they're just they're very much what they have been under Bruce. They're, they're a counter-attacking team that a lot of the time doesn't counter-attack. Um, no. And Bruce comes up with plenty of excuses and stuff like that and plenty of, um, you know, he, a lot of the time he says things along the lines of I can't fault the player's effort and things like that. But at the end of the day, they, they're not performing anywhere near to a level to, to stay in the Premier League, in my opinion. And they have to no. do the last season either. No. I had a... If you look at the team that lined up in against City, 
and you kind of see that as maybe a you know a shadow team for what what we're going to see against Liverpool, given it's similar opposition. You just don't know where the threat's going to come from. You know they've got a back five. Um, then you've got Almiron, who you know has uh, does have something. Then you've got Longstaff, Hayden, not much there. Murphy, and then Joel Linton up top as a long forward. You know that where from a Liverpool perspective, there's not much there you, that gives you much fear, is there? No, no. But um, I, I will say that in the past few years, they've got the recruitment generally quite right in terms of the style of play. Like they've got they've got players in who are, who are quick, good on the break, can carry the ball. Don't really need teammates around them to get up the field. Players like Saint Maxima, Almiron, Ryan Fraser's in the same mould. Uh, Callum Wilson, you could argue as well. Got obviously got Joel and Ron because you don't really seem to, to know how to use him. To be honest, mm. but um, I don't think he's been that great anyway. But I think generally they're just um, they're a frustrating team because they, they seem to me a bit like a sleeping giant. Um, but they just their ambition seems so low. To, to, you know, just stay in the Premier League and that's that's kind of a job done. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think you know the fans would obviously like like more, but this is the I think one of the main issues they've got, as, not just as a you know starting eleven or team, just as a club, there's just a complete lack of alignment from top to bottom, isn't there? You know, the owners are. Yeah, you know, I think it's still Ashley. He's trying to sell the club as being for a while, as being failed takeovers. Newcastle fans basically hate him and basically don't like the team either. Um, no, no, but not really a fan of the manager. You know, you, you get the impression the relationship between the manager and the owner isn't that good. There's just a complete lack of alignment there, and they're just in a really, they're they're already not a great run club, and they're they're in a pretty bad moment as well. So it it, it feels like a really good time to to be playing them. Yeah, I mean, at the minute, <clears throat> all competitions they have lost the past three, and um, sorry. Past four, past four matches, they've lost three and drawn one. That's against Leeds, Fulham, Brentford and City. And they've scored three goals in that time and conceded nine. Mm. Um, I, I think there's an outside chance here that Liverpool use 4-2-3-1. Um, we had Shaqiri on the bench for the last game. Although we kind of got to a point where we needed him against West Brom, we didn't use him for whatever reason. But I think we've lined up 4-2-3-1 in the past against Newcastle. Mm. I think we might have done it at St. James's Park as well. I, I recall Shaqiri putting the ball in when mm. Liverpool scored the winning goal when they were going for the league. I think Aegee might have scored it. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, but I think we might line up with a 4-2-3-1 just with Shaqiri on the right, Mane on the left, Firmino as the 10 and Salah as the 9. Just an outside call, depends on how, Shikir, how fit Shaqiri is, but it is something that we tend to do against back fives. Obviously, the only, the emphasis is going to be on us to attack. Newcastle is just going to sit in, aren't they? It's kind of one of those that it's difficult to really add value to a preview with this one because they are just what they are. Newcastle, we yeah. know exactly what to expect. The man on the street knows what to expect um, with this kind of match. It's just going to be yeah. on Liverpool to keep coming with wave after wave of attack, be unpredictable in a, on the ball. And, you know, you could argue that if you, if you manage set pieces and counter-attacks, you're probably not going to concede. 
Um, so it's it's one of those. There's, there's not really much to add, really, is he, Dave? No, that's it. Yeah, it's uh, no, it's <laughs> try and prov- provide information that probably everybody already knows. It's it should be a game that Liverpool win quite comfortably. I think. Um, as I said, it's really good times to be playing them. Yeah, I mean, we'll move on to Southampton, but just just before we do, a quick prediction on this one. Yeah, I'm going to go three 0 Fairly comfortable afternoon. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go the same. Mm. Uh, I think obviously Newcastle playing virtually every three days now. I don't think they're a team that's used to that. Mm. Um, they're out of form, and then against the Liverpool team that should once react. Um, it's 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 a very similar match setup you could argue to what we just faced against West Brom. I know we didn't beat West Brom, but it's going to be really similar. Um, mm. You could argue that Klopp would just kind of kind of send his team out and say, "Go and do exactly the same again." What he did in the first half, mm. but do it for the second half this time as well. Yeah. Uh, but after that game, we've got Southampton, and what could be a tricky matchup. Uh, yeah. Looking at the numbers though, Dave, I expected better, I'll be honest. Uh, the numbers are, are quite, well, slightly below mid-table, I think. Mm. Um, I thought it'd be a bit a bit better, a bit of a better performance team than that, according to the numbers. I think they are, but maybe the numbers doesn't capture it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably it, yeah. They're, um, weirdly, they're, they're a tough team because they're a very intense side. But I also think the other team that you, they're, they're, it's a winnable fixture, if, if that makes sense. Um, it's a team that kind of, if you're at your best, I think you can beat them. It's just if you're not at your best, I think they can make it really difficult for you. You know, they have yeah, some, yeah. they have some good players. Um, you know, I think the constant press from set, uh, sorry, the constant threat from set pieces, pieces with Ball Prowse, and I think the defense has been pretty good this year. Um, you know, I think Vestergaard's shown himself to be a good player, though obviously he's injured now, isn't he? Um, but yeah, that's that's the best way to probably summarise them. They're really intense side, you know, they're, they're a tough opponent, but if, if you're at your best, you, you can beat them. Yeah, I will say that. I think not many people will have picked up on how much, just how much they've lost by um, by losing Vestergaard and Danny Ings at the same time. I think they both had quite a bit to, to Southampton's attacking game. Vestergaard plays kind of um, passes in the mould of Van Dijk in a way. Those, those crossfield diagonals went and, and it kind of gets South London into the final third with one pass. Um, it's a way of escaping a press. And obviously from those set pieces um, that James Ward-Prowse is putting in, Vestergaard's obviously, I think he's about six foot six, mm. really good in the air. So you've, you've removed Vestergaard and... I'm not exactly sure who he's been replaced with. Any idea on that one? Yeah, I think it was... Uh, I think they've had Stevens and Bednarch in there as well. Yeah, well, Stevens is nowhere near... Um, Stevens is nowhere near Vestergaard's level. Yeah. I think has been in all season, hasn't he? Yeah, basically um, what you're losing, just on that point, Josh, what you're basically losing, aren't you, is kind of elite-level players in probably two of the most important positions aren't you you know in both boxes really you're losing like elite level players and you know if you haven't no longer got that elite level finisher and you've not you haven't really got that kind of top class defender either so it's killing you really in two two boxes 
Yeah, but they, they both offer big perks to Southampton alongside being, you know, better in quality than the options mm-hmm. they've got. Like the, the long passes Vestergaard does, the big set-piece threat, the finishing that Danny Ings offers, the link-up that, that Danny Ings offers. So, you know, without those players, I'm not sure. I don't think Vestergaard's going to be fit, but I'm not sure on Danny Ings. I'm not sure how bad Danny Ings is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think without those two, I don't think it'll be... You know, the Southampton team that many people would expect to give Liverpool a game. If you like, I think Liverpool should find it a lot easier without those two players in the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, just to put a bit of perspective on their numbers for the season. So, in attack, expected goals, excluding penalties. They are about 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13th. Um, and then on the defensive side, they are top 10 on the defensive side. Um, mm. Very aggressive on the ball, obviously. Uh, sorry, without the ball. Um, and in terms of shooting, I think this was probably what surprised me a little bit more. I think f- for the shooting, they shoot less frequently than Arsenal. Um, and anyone that's followed this show for a while will know that that's terrible. <laughs> Arsenal just don't tend to have shots, do they? No. They only, they only shoot more frequently than Sheffield United, West Brom, Newcastle, Burnley and Palace. Those are the five teams in the league, really, aren't they, that you'd, you'd label as really defensive English teams, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that Southampton are only above them, I, I was a little bit surprised by. Yeah, it doesn't uh, it, it it doesn't bode well, really, does it? It doesn't look good on them, that. Um, I know, obviously, st- playing style comes into that a little bit, but yeah, a little bit surprised by that actually. But on on the defensive side, though, they only face um, nine point nine shots per match, which is the fifth best. Mm. So they are, they are out shooting their opponents by about only about a shot per match. Um, and they, they, they do seem better without the ball than with it. Probably one of them teams that you need to gain a lead over. Um, and then you can kind of... I think City did that a few weeks ago. Um, but get, getting that first goal can be tough. Um, but I think I think Liverpool probably do have enough to, to win this game for me. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I, Southampton's just looking now. They've scored the opening goal 10 of their 15 matches so far. Um and they've been leading at half time and eight. So, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's uh, and I mean, I, I'm got, I'm got probably won't have time now while we're recording live to find out what the record is after scoring first. But, uh, yeah, it's not bad that really, is it? Because you know, it goes without saying that when you're there, when you score first, you, you give yourself the huge, huge advantage and normally go on to kind of win the game. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't be ninth in the table. I think at the end of the season, I'd probably expect them to finish around there. Mm. Um, that, that's probably a good place for them because their attack seems to be um, 10 to 20th, but the defence seems to be 10 to 1st. Mm. Um, so placing them ninth is probably quite accurate. Um, yeah, it would have been handy to have Van Dijk for this one considering the press that Southampton are probably going to give high up the field. Van Dijk mm. would have been a way out of that. Um but I think, you know, verdicts on this one, Dave? This is a tough game to call at this stage, I think. Uh, I yeah, think I would have yeah. had a better feel for it, you know, if it was like the day before. 
Um, I'm actually going to go with a one-all on this one. Sounds a, a bit pessimistic. Yeah, it sounds a bit pessimistic, but I just think it could. The, the way Liverpool have been away from home uh, recently, you know, they haven't been able to always turn these kind of performances into victories. And I think this could be a little bit of a, a frustrating one that maybe just continues this trend of, of one-ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got a break from Wednesday to Monday. Monday night game it is. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one to call. I'm, I think I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. Mm. Um, but I, I know what you mean in terms of it being... I can picture it being quite niggly. Um, you know, stepping on Liverpool's toes and that sort of stuff. Really aggressive side without the ball, making it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the past few times we went to St Mary's, I'm pretty sure it's it's required kind of a bit of a moment of brilliance, really, to put the ball in the net. Like I remember Salah carrying the ball from one end of the field to the other. And then oh, yeah. I think Mane yeah. is, did, did similar last season after a bad start. I think he just out of nowhere put the ball in the far corner from the opposite corner of the box, I think. Um might be getting mixed up there, but no, I think there was. I think there was the good Firmino goal as well in one of those games. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, I mean the record's quite good there. Just quickly, it's uh, the last three visits I've ended up in wins, but um, let's have a look at the. Yeah, I think there's. I think that three-one game that you're talking about where Sal scores that great goal. I think it come really late on, didn't? Yeah, 80th minute, and then Henderson mm. scores one, mate. But yeah. It hasn't always been easy in the last last years was two one, which is again quite tight. Um so yeah, it's probably gonna be one of them where it's tight and we'll probably end in a draw or maybe Liverpool coming away with it. Yeah, to be honest, I, I wouldn't rule out one all. <laughs> um I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on you there for that one now. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go two one. Yeah. Um, just because I do think Liverpool, if they turn up, will will have enough, but it's it's difficult at the minute because not the, the, the same Liverpool team isn't turning up every week mm. um, so it's difficult to predict but anyway that is the Christmas check-in the Christmas update so uh, we'll be back next week to preview uh, none other than Manchester United the first meeting of the season and it's all the way in January so uh, thanks for joining us Dave yeah, thank you. That'll be our first show 2021, that, Josh. Yeah, yeah, it will. Start off mm. for the bank. Um, yeah, have a good new year to the listeners and stuff. And uh, see you next week. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.